Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call, uh, Sean Gentilly from The Athletic as well will join us here in about five minutes. But uh, before that, well, f- first of all, uh, I have to read this text. This comes in from uh, Parker in Chilliwack. Now, I don't know how – I can't vouch for the veracity of this text, but it made me laugh, so i got to read it. He says, uh, hey, guys, I listen to the Canucks Talk podcast every day at work. You guys are great. Thank you, Parker. Yesterday, I was working outside by myself and blacked out after being hit pretty hard by a metal pole. The loud, beautiful laughter of Thomas Drans and my AirPods woke me up from my unconsciousness. <laughs> so thank you, Canucks Talk, specifically Thomas, for helping me out yesterday. I hope you're all right. First of all, Parker, that sounds scary. Terrifying. But I'm glad we could be of assistance. I, I'm glad to know that my laugh is – Res- can resuscitate somebody from a metal pole blackout. I'm glad to know that it's the audio equivalent of smelling salts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and a big jolt to the system. Like ah, it's, it's one of those things that like I always hoped that were the case, but now I know. So thank you, Parker. That was uh, that's one of my favorite texts that we've received in an awful long time here. Um, on uh, on the J- Dakota Joshua because we got some a lot of texts coming in here, right? And I think you know we're focusing on the third line and. Uh, what they're going to miss with, with Joshua out, Ilya Mikheyev's opportunity. Another angle to this, though, is the top six side of it, right? Because And, and this person texted in unsigned, this was the chance to move Garland up, up the lineup. Massive opportunity missed. That's an interesting take, right? That, hey, if you're being forced to break up that trio anyways, does it give you a chance to try uh, something out with, uh, with Connor Garland up the lineup? But I'll also say... That third line has picked up so much of the slack for the top six. Not that the top six has been poor necessarily, but, you know, maybe not clicking the way at five on five that the coaching staff would like to see. Okay, so now there's some question marks. There's some uncertainty about the third line. This is a spot where you'd love to see the top six really step in and uh, and not give some of that slack, leave some of that slack that needs to be picked up, but to really carry the carry the load for the Canucks in this game. So, you know, like, this is a really interesting one because it exists at the nexus of two primary talking points that I think have dominated the conversation in this market, especially over the course of the past couple weeks, mm-hmm. right? One, the play of the third line, the importance of the third line, uh, the how, how significantly, like, Joshua and Bluger should be prioritized given mm-hmm. that they're pending unrestricted free agents and on and on. And also the concerning play of Ilya Mikheyev, who hasn't scored in, what, 22 games? games. Yeah, 20-plus games. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. And he only has five assists over that period, and he hasn't contributed much on the power play on and on. Hasn't contributed anything on the power play, really. (laughs) Literally nothing. Not to put too fine a point on it, but doesn't have any power play points. He's pointless on the power play. Yeah. So, you know, now you're getting this moment, this sort of like, almost one of those stock watch moments where like stock is so high on the third line and so low on Mikheyev Mm -hmm. that the idea of him moving onto it, I think naturally causes some trepidation among Canucks fans. And I just think he's going to be good there. You know, like I think we have to be patient with Mikheyev because the speed's not quite there, but be a big body, win battles, play smart hockey. Yep. No matter what, get the puck to Connor Garland and go to the net. 
no, no matter what has been happening to him in terms of his production, in terms of how some of those shots lack the kind of threat <laughs> that you'd hope um, to get, despite all of that, like those are things that Mikheyev does reliably game in, game out. Even his harshest critics should be able to ignore, to see that. You know, he, he's not getting two breakaways a game, but a lot of that stuff that's made him so valuable through his NHL career is still there. Uh, very much present. And I think it's going to work. Like, I honestly would be surprised if we saw this line be less effective tonight. Well, and I do think it's interesting. So people kind of forget this. But, of course, when Bluger was out of the lineup and it was Pew Suter centering that line between Joshua and Garland, they were really good. Yeah, now, they, were they, weren't, good. they weren't scoring a ton of goals necessarily. They were but going it was a little only cold. a matter of time. Yeah, but they were generating a ton of chances, a ton of zone time. It looked very similar uh, to how it's looked with Bluger on that line instead so they did it with that configuration, right? If you now do it with Joshua out and McKayev in his spot, and it still looks really, really good, you know, I, I think you're starting to gather some data here that would suggest, and I don't think you would have a big problem with this, but that Connor Garland is the common factor between all those configurations, right? And I, in a way, you can look at this as an opportunity for the coaching staff to kind of isolate okay like is it is it the case that do we have to keep Connor Garland with Bluger and Joshua or do we have a lot more flexibility with how we move these pieces around and can we rely on Garland in and of himself to drive that third line because that opens up a whole bunch of different possibilities for how you want to structure your lineup yeah it does it does well and I mean I'm I like I remain convinced that this team's going to need at some point down the line now it might not be today might not be next week might not be next month but at some point, if this season lasts as long as I think everyone in this market hopes it does, mm -hmm. Garland's going to need to play up the lineup. There's going to be a problem that this team has to solve at some point at the top of the lineup that's going to require, you know, one of their three best five-on-five -five drivers up front to be thrown at that problem. Now, my only counter to that is, couldn't you say he's already playing at the top of the lineup based on his five-on-five -five minutes? Well, no. You know what I mean? Say, you'd say, I mean, he's fifth in, on the team. Okay. And I'm saying, like, there's, I think there's a world where at some point Garland gets drafted up on, like, matchup line duty. Right. You know, something like that. And, and you know, look, I think the team's probably a little bit reluctant to do it. Um, the to Tony Pollard thing. Like, well, you, well, he's doing it in a, in a third-line role, but that doesn't mean that he can necessarily do it in a top-line role, right? We love this player for $2 million. Mm -hmm. Not sure we love him for 7 That's the Oliver Ekman-Larsen rule now. Yep. <laughs> you know? Like, the, that sort of scaling it is tricky to project across sports, but especially in hockey. And so, you know, I, I'm sure there's some feeling internally that Garland's in the perfect spot. He's slotted correctly. That's why he's succeeding. And we couldn't move him up the lineup against like bigger competition right. in the playoffs because that's not where his game is best suited. I, I, I just think he could handle that, and I think he'll do well tonight. All right, right now we go... What? Sorry, we're welcoming our official yeah. Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> yeah. offensive coordinator yes, yes. correspondent, Sean Gentile. That's right. We go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline where we are joined from the Athletic by our pal Sean Gentile. Sean, what's going on, man? Surprised not to hear from you guys whenever they made the Arthur Smith hiring official. I, I tr we, we tried. <laughs> it came up. The idea came up for sure. Anyways, you want to you vent about Arthur Smith before yeah, can we get we into hear hockey? your take? No, I think it kind of makes sense for what they're trying to do. I mean, he's worked with he's worked with limited he's worked with limited quarterbacks in the past and done a half decent job, and that's what they got. So whatever, it's boring. It's boring, but probably not that big of a deal. 
Do you think he's a Peter Principal guy? That's a great question. I think I, I think that's <laughs> he, def, he definitely was in Atlanta. That was <laughs> that was the first level passive competency that we that, that we saw him fail on for sure. Mm-hmm. They got to they get they got to hope he is, and that you know they have. Uh, you know that they have the right personnel in, in there now, and get the quarterback thing squared away at some point. All right, uh, on to uh, the NHL. Lots happening this week. Uh, we'll start with the news out of Columbus this morning. Yarmo Kekalainen out as general manager uh, after 11 years in the role. And you know, I know it's been a, a popular discussion point today. Of okay, why now? Why just a handful of weeks uh, before the trade deadline? Why did they choose to make this? But you know, I could kind of flip it around and after the Mike Babcock decision and debacle, like what took so long in Columbus? That's that's my question more than why did they do it now just a couple of weeks before the deadline? A hundred percent. I mean, the, and, you know, you can look at the Babcock hiring originally and look at it as kind of, I mean, that's already you're in full desperation mode yep. there, right? Where you're like, something like, like we, we got to we got to turn this around quickly and, and, and get different results in a hurry. You know, but it's stripping away all the other BS that comes with hiring Mac, Mike, Mike Babcock. That's like, that's like a, you know, a, a last gasp effort. It, it's something there for sure. And I don't know, you never want to, you don't want to fire a GM at the start of a season either. So I can, I can see why in that particular instance, you know, it dragged on a little bit longer. The issue is what came before to me, what came before the Babcock firing and just the total, you know, loss of the plot that we saw there over the, over the couple seasons leading, uh, leading, leading up to that hire. So yeah, and think, things have only gotten worse, you know, on, on the, on the ice, off the ice, mm-hmm. you know, stuck a, a, across the board. So I can see why they were like, all right, this has gone on long enough. Just tear off the bandaid. You know, while we can, it's just funny that it was such an abrupt end to you know a, a tenure that had dragged on, you know, too long already. It, it was funny. It was a weird, a weird, maybe not an overcorrection, but it was just a a weird 180 from how they've moved with regards to him over the last little bit. It, it, I find it amazing, Sean, because when you look at like the Seth Jones trade, which you know yep. to me was like one of the savviest bits of. Um, maneuvering we've seen in years and then sort of fast forward through to like good Branson Gaudreau and 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 such um do you think they ever really recovered from the loss of Panarin and Bobrovsky in free agency that year I don't think so I think that did some kind of that did like psychic damage I think to that franchise too and and in the fan base and whatever else that's a tough thing to move on from but you know you mentioned the you mentioned the Jones trade like I I'm I'm, I'm with you I'm, I'm with you there too like it you know it wasn't all bad for for that guy you know what it was he like some a plus you know top shelf guy no like he had major major mistakes and some and some huge errors you know throughout the course I guess of his of his uh of his tenure there but what what killed him was I, I, what killed him was the was the Gaudreau off season because they'd started kind of stocking back up the 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 prospect coffers and it seemed like they were willing to rebuild and all that sort of stuff and then you know the direction changed he shocked everybody including Yarmo Kekalainen apparently by saying yes 
And then all of a sudden, when you have you have Johnny Gaudreau on a team, and he's is he's a win now player, he's in his prime, and you're paying him all this money, and blah blah blah. Then all of a sudden, the directives change, right? You can't rebuild after you sign Johnny Gaudreau for a, a gazillion years and a and a, and a bajillion dollars. And he wasn't equipped to do what he needed, you know, to to turn a team with Johnny Gaudreau at the top of the lineup into into a relevant into a relevant one. And I think that I, I think that's what nailed him more than anything else. How attractive do you think the GM job there is, considering, because on the one hand, you know, there's all this young talent and really exciting young players. They've had a ton of high draft picks. But as you mentioned, look, like the realities that made it so difficult once they signed Johnny Gaudreau, namely, you can't really rebuild and you're paying him a lot of money. That still exists. And also, you know, John Davidson, the president of hockey operations, is at least for now still there. And he was overseeing a lot of what Yarmo Kekalainen did as well. It, it really is like, uh, you know, it, it depends on what you value. I think if you're a if if you're a candidate, because you know you, you mentioned John Davidson. Also, the the the, the big wonder, the big thing to to throw in there is the McConnell family who owns the team are like hands off to the point of it being a problem, <laughs> which is like that it that that's great if you're you know Yarmo Kekalainen in years eight, nine, and ten and eleven when under most other and most other franchises would have would have canned them already. But when you have that particular group of people at, at the at the very tippy top of the organization, it, it buys you some time. So if you're a GM, you're like, all right, this is great. We have hands off ownership. We have Adam Fantilli. We have you know a, a, a bunch of other interesting young players. You know at, at the at the at, at the top there, and you just kind of hope that carries the day. But man, the the uh, the the, the the balance sheet on on the roster screwed up like cap wise it's 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 a mess there they started doing st- it it really seemed like they were doing desperation stuff over the last over the last year or two with with you know retaining money and blah 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 so like so the end result is you know next couple of years are are, are going to be ugly uh Goudreau, you know that situation isn't isn't going to fix itself but beyond that there's there's stuff to like, but it's certainly not a perfect job. With, I mean, you know, one thing I often think about, especially with teams like the Canucks, right? Like the, a team that kind of came out of nowhere and surprised us was, you know, while the rebuilding of the defense and the adding of a, a bunch of solid Teddy Bluger style glue guys mm-hmm. uh, matters, none of this happens mm-hmm. if Quinn Hughes doesn't level up, right? None of this happens if... Thatcher Demko's not as a, at a Vesna finalist level, and if uh, Pedersen and, and JT Miller aren't still throwing, you know, fastballs. And when I think about this Columbus team, that's sort of one thing that I'm left with is as bad as a lot of the work looks, I, I find it inescapable that if Patrick Lyonnais was something at all, right? If Gaudreau mm-hmm. was still playing well, um, it feels like their biggest issues are kind of their best players. Absolutely, absolutely, and and, and those guys, not not coincidentally, not guys you mentioned, like those guys who could be like their next generation, their next wave of top players. You know, could they be like could Fantilli be you know a Pedersen style all star high end one C? Like, sure. Mm-hmm. Is, 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 could David Yurichek be you know maybe not? 
Quinn Hughes level, but at least kind of in that in that in that discussion as like a no doubt number one defenseman. Like, yeah, absolutely, but they're not there yet. And that was always the trump card for the Canucks, and has been for you know however long, two, three, four years now, is that you know the talent at the top was not part of the problem. It was the financials were an issue, the decision making process was an issue, and then and then the next layer of of depth of depth players were the issue and they found a way to fix all that and it's 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 not easy but it happens vancouver is example a of that and i think if you're the next person who steps in to run that organization in columbus then you're kind of hoping that you know the chips fall out uh in in, a, in about the same way because they because I, I will say you know i'll, I'll just I'll repeat myself they have and if even if you're only looking at fantilly and your check and they have, they have some prospects that go beyond them like you do potentially have some big box big boxes check yeah. and I think that's mm-hmm. better than nothing. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, another team with some interesting questions they're going to have to answer before the trade deadline. The Pittsburgh Penguins, your hometown, they lose mm-hmm. 5-2 to the Panthers last night. And I've seen some calls uh, from local media like, hey, this can't continue. A change of direction is necessary. What's your sense? I mean, I, like one loss isn't going to change uh, people's minds necessarily one way or another. But what do you think this team should do ahead of the deadline? I still think I'm playing out most of the rest of the schedule ahead of the deadline. If I'm if, if I'm Kyle Dubas, and because they they have about I think they have either ten or eleven games left before March uh, before March eighth, and they have some games in hand on the team that they're chasing and whatever. We're gonna know for certain whether that team's capable of anything of a, a few days before the a few days before the deadline. There's no sense in and blowing stuff up now, right? Like, I, I think the better, the, the better question is like, or maybe not the better question, but I, every, <laughs> ask uh, the right question. Can, how, you, how dare you? No, this is very, this is, uh, <laughs> this is true detective. He's no, doing no, the no. Danvers I, thing. Ask the right question. Like, should they add? I think that, mm. I think that's like a, I think that's like a question that I hadn't really thought of myself until, until Yoey kind of pondered it on, on the, on, on our site today. Um, I don't think so. I, I do. I think they should No, but I, I think, I think there's a bunch of doors that, you know, that, that they're faced with here. And, you know, I don't know. There's still, there's still enough games left in the East. Uh, the, 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 the sandbox that they're playing in, in the Eastern conference, when you're talking about them and, you know, the Islanders and the fly, all the things like they're, they're not that good. Detroit. Some of them are playing, some of them are playing very well right now, but a lot can change in 10 games. So mm. I would, I would just, you know, hold off before I necessarily start, you know, whatever, but, but before you hit the big red button that says trade Jake Gensel on under it, like in, in Kyle Dubas's office, I think there's a little bit of time before they can do that. Yeah. The thing that's always struck me about the Pittsburgh conversation, this goes back to like when it was still Ron Hextall and Brian Burke is this idea mm-hmm. like, Oh, they get like, how could they possibly be expected to win? Or, you know, they've got to start rebuilding. They've got to start like looking towards the future because uh, of how old, you know, Crosby and Latang and Malkin are. And it's like, but those guys are still really good. I mean, Crosby's having an incredible year. Malkin has like 40 plus points in yeah. 50 games. I don't know that Malkin's been really good. He's still been good. But they're like, what's he yeah. making this year? He's making $6 million. You don't think he's been full value for 
He absolutely has. Uh, this idea that it's been this like, oh, is this millstone around the neck of the executives to have these players. No, that's, you're right. Uh, you're right on the straw man point. Like the Malkin idea, hasn't been good. The Sean, idea, way in, what, way what I'm saying is like the idea that it would be impossible like to build that. a winner in the in these conditions. It's like, no, you're getting like yeah. Hall of Fame players at relative bargain rates. Like it should have been very possible. That's been the immense failure of the last three or four years mm, yeah. that you're getting... They're, they're going to waste – they're certainly on track to waste a year where Sidney Crosby is, like, top 10 in MVP voting as a 36-year-old. Like, uh-huh. it, is, it, is, it is pathetic in a lot of ways. <laughs> and, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's gone back for a couple years now. The, the, re, the reason this team is up a creek right now has nothing to do with the play of the guys at the top of the lineup. It just, it just doesn't. It hasn't been true this year. It wasn't true last year. It wasn't true the year before that. Mm. They just haven't been. They, and because there's, look, there's too much money locked up in guys like Ricard or Kel for, for one. There's bad contracts there. And they're just not getting, you know, perf- they're not getting performance and they're not getting production from that second layer of players. It's, it's as true now as, it, as, as it's ever been there. So yeah, I, it is. It's uh, it's it's been something. It's been something to watch. But the the important thing to remember, again, like you guys said, ain't Sidney Crosby's fault that's for sure, <laughs> and it's not really Evgeny Malkin's fault, not Chris Letang's fault, and even it's not even Eric Carlson's fault. Those dudes have done their job. It's about the guys that are below them that are that that are letting them down because you're. Your, your first line can't win you every single game, and that's basically what they're asking at this point from Crosby and Gensel and, uh, and, and Brian Ross. So, but zoom out and, and adjudicate mine and Jamie's uh, little lover's quarrel. Um, Evgeny Malkin, good or not this season? I think he's been a fine $6 million second-line center who's 38 years old or whatever. <laughs> that's a almost, lot of qualifiers. Almost, almost 38. That's a lot of qualifiers, my guy. What? Well, where did like <laughs> yeah. where does he rank on the list of problems for the Penguins though? Like near the bottom. the bottom. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think the fact that they're not reliably outscoring opponents with Evgeny Malkin on the ice is is more than if that. You need if 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 you need Malkin to be to be outplaying a outplaying his contract right now at at, at this age at, at this point in his career, then you have you have. You have plenty of other issues. I just think if like, their yeah, issue, yeah, like, but Sean, if their issue is that they're a one-line team, like at least part of that is that they don't have a second line going to help support the Crosby line. Not biggest, that not that he's been a liability, just that you know, you you need someone I, to look, help drive I, that. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to like blindly defend Malkin this year because I, I don't think he's been fantastic, but he's creating scoring chances at a pretty. At a pretty unbelievable rate, and, and the guys who are on his wings aren't wearing them. The, the Riley Smith acquisition, in particular, has been a disaster. He's, mm-hmm. He has been terrible, and he doesn't work with Malkin, and he's not finishing his chances in, in any capacity. So, you know, the bigger I t- now should Evgeny Malkin be able to, you know, create stuff on his own without being reliant that reliant on his wingers? Like you, you could easily argue that, but. I would say that whenever you're paying a guy six million dollars, that's like not really what his job is anymore. Like, like it's yep. like like he should he, he should be able to rely on the people around him because he's not making he's not making ten million dollars a year anymore. Well, and yeah, and my original point was I think there was this sense, uh, at least based on the reporting when Ron Hextall was let go, that like his hands were tied because he had to retain Malkin and Latang. You know what I mean? And like my point is, 
maybe it's not ideal. Maybe he's not giving you this immense surplus value uh, over his six point mm-hmm. one million dollar contract. But it's not preventing you Correct. from building a winner, right? Yeah. Like that's my overall point. Holding Absolutely. that up is like Absolutely how not. how could I possibly be expected to do my job when I have to pay Evgeny Malkin six point one? It's like oh, I don't know. You could probably find a way uh, to do it Hextel, in some way. Hextel wanted to move on. Hextel wanted, exactly. Hextel wanted to, Hextel wanted wanted him out, and he wanted to get rid of Latang, and then and then that's not the way things worked out. He, he you know, couldn't handle it. He it was it, it was a Yarmo it was a Yarmo situation where he was doing one job. And then was forced into doing another, and, mm. and he couldn't make the adjustment, and he got fired for it. Um, all right, we are uh, just over three weeks out from the trade deadline. Which team around the NHL are you most curious to see what they do ahead of the deadline? Mm. Is the Flames the boring the boring answer? Because I know they they have the guys who, ever, who's, who everybody's interested in. Yeah, I think that's between a fair Tanev and, between Tanev and Hannafin and. And uh, Markstrom, I, th- I think that's I think that's kind of an I, I think that is kind of annoying though. Still, like, <laughs> what annoys you about it? Because like whatever, like whatever. Like I've like I've looked at our I've looked at our trade board. Yeah. And this is no knock on on, on Chris Johnson does unbelievable work there, but it's like, yep, it's still Tan Evan Hansen at the top. And two <laughs> weeks ago it was Han Evan Hansen at the top, and and then a month ago it was Tan Evan Hansen. It's like nothing's. Nothing's changed really. I just feel like that's a weird, a weird stock answer. So I'll, <laughs> I'll maybe flip it a little bit and just say like, it fascinates me that the Devils were going that hard after Markstrom and, and that they and that they had enough of a deal in place, you know, according according to a couple reports that you know they, they had him wave is that they had the waving the wa- waving the no movement clause mm. conversation. So I think I think some of the bubble teams in the East like them and. You know, maybe they're Red Wings and 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 certainly Pittsburgh. I I think the, I think those are the ones that are interesting. Where you're like, okay, like are they are they putting the chips in the middle of the table? Are they actually trying to do this now? And I I think I think a lot of uh, interesting stuff's gonna gonna come out of whatever decisions they end up making. Can I can I pitch you on one? Uh, please, Ottawa. What do you think? Hmm. Who do you think they move? I mean, Tarasenko is the obvious one, but it, like, like what, like what's what other move is out there for the sense to make that, that, that I was just saying? I'm trying to think about a team that could like change the balance of power in the league one way or the other with their actions at the deadline. And for me, the de- the Senators sort of loom large. And here's the three names that I I have in my mind's eye when I say that: um, Josh Norris, because of mm-hmm. Drake Batherson. And Jacob Chikrin, right? I mean, those are three really good players. There's been some scattered reports that they might decide to change up the mix to do something mm-hmm. because of just like rattling the group's cage. And to me, when I start to hear rumblings like that, I always think that's a team that could make another like that. That's a team that could win someone else the cup. I saw whenever Chikrin's name popped up. Like a month or so ago, they're mm. like, oh, they have, you know, they're they have uh, two a, a lot of guys on on the left side, and may, maybe that's what happens. I still, I've just been in love with that idea <laughs> since <laughs> since it popped up. Because after like two years of just when is Jacob Chicken going to get traded, and having it go through and be like, all right, this is it, this is his home, like this is where he's going to stay for the rest of his contract, and blah blah. We're about to. We're about to turn around and do it again within 12 months. I, I hope it, I hope it happens, man. Just trade Jacob Chick- Chicken every year. 
It's just the perennial big trade chip. Where will he go? The Jacob Chikrin <laughs> sweepstakes. Uh, hey, Sean, this is great as always, man. Chickering's like the, the new version of Dom Moore. He just gets traded for a second or third round. <laughs> every year. I, I, <laughs> All right, fellas. Better than being the goat on the trade deadline broadcast that's trying to kill time, right? <laughs> <laughs> Have fun. All right. See you, man. See you guys. That is uh, Sean Gentile, our pal from The Athletic here, weighing in you, on a bunch of different things. You know, we like Sean because we're willing to like fight in front we of him. We are you in front of him. And he was like, I love it. <laughs> Like this is exciting, but like we'd have a lot. We have a lot of guests, including like Jeremy Colton. Who, well, well, yes, no, no, we're not going to argue in front of Jeremy no, Colton. No, no, where where it's you like gotta, you got to be on your best behavior. Where we bring out like the good china, <laughs> yes. but Gentilly comes over and it's like we're drawing on the table. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy Colton's like, look, we'll talk about it later. All right, <laughs> we have company. <laughs> don't make don't make this more embarrassing uh, than it already is. Um, the Columbus thing is fascinating though because. As you pointed out, like any time that there's a big shuffle, potentially, no, we don't know if there's going to be a shuffle in the team's plans going into the deadline, but all of a sudden there's all these new options uh, available to them. And whether it's pending RFAs, pending UFAs, you know, guys with a little bit of term, we've heard interest uh, from the Canucks. Remember when Elliot Friedman said the Canucks were peaking at defense options, right? Andrew Peak, still a guy that maybe uh, maybe could interest them as a depth defender with some terms. So worth monitoring from a, a Canucks perspective as well. And, you know, I got to say, like, the the um, the Pittsburgh one, too, just because you never know what they're going to s- uh, decide to do there. And outside of Jake Gensel, which is probably prohibitive at this point, for the Canucks, given they've already uh, done the Elias Lindholm deal, and you know we don't even know what Jake Gensel's health status is going to be. I don't know if there are any names that necessarily make a ton of sense for the Canucks who could be available for Pittsburgh. But uh, again, anytime a team might be in a position to be a, an aggressive seller like that, you know Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin, they're they're interested. They're going to be making those calls. They're going to be doing their due diligence. Um, as mentioned, Jeremy Colton's going to join us a little later, one thirty, uh, for Jeremy Colton. We'll talk to the uh, Abbotsford Canucks head coach to wrap up the show. Up next, we'll continue to look ahead to the Canucks and the Detroit Red Wings tonight at Rogers Arena. Canucks back home for the first time in a long time. We will hear from Canucks head coach Rick Talkett coming up in the next segment here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Get your text in. Open segment here, but it is a Canucks game day, uh, which means Rick Tockett speaking at length to the Canucks media earlier today. Here is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Yeah, I know it's, it's been a long three weeks. So I think it's been a long time. But, uh, yeah, guys are excited to get back, see everybody. Um, it's always good to be in your building. Uh, with the way you guys have been playing lately, how nice is it to get 
some practice time in hopefully here. I know it's a short little homestand, but be able to get a full practice in maybe tomorrow. Yeah, well, we're not going to have much after that. We got to go back on the road again in a couple of days. So yeah, this is this is our tough. This is a tough stretch. We had a couple at the beginning of the year, but this is these next two weeks are really going to be tough for us. So we we got to hold water here. Uh, not much practice time, but um, you know if we can get through this stretch, March obviously is favorable to us. So I think every team has those spots in the schedule, and this is where we got to really dig in uh, these two three weeks. Rick, no sign of Dakota at uh, yeah. skate here. What's his status? Yeah, he's going to evaluate uh, as we speak. Uh, I mean, this afternoon. So, but we don't have him for tonight. So, upper body type of thing. Is it day to day, or is it potentially? Well, I mean, at this point, I, I don't know. I mean, I hope it is, but uh, you know, we'll see what the doctor says here late in the afternoon. Was it a result of the fight? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us about um, just. Uh, what you want to see more from your top two lines at five on five? It seems like that third line has has really been carrying the day in five on five situations. Just drive play a little bit. You know, uh, not, they're not getting a lot of chances right now, and you know, every everybody goes through it. Just drive play a little bit. Hold on to pucks more. Um, stay closer together. If you look at the third line, the Garland line, the, 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 if you have an overhead camera on, they're close. There are triangles. <clears throat> they're jumping on loose bucks. And when you do that, you're extending your ozone, you're extending your chances. So, um, yeah, I'd like to see them just drive play. You know, tonight's a start for them. Hopefully they can get some chances tonight by staying close together. What have you seen from Lindholm through the first five games? And, and just talk a bit about his fit with Petey. Yeah, you know, I've been kind of bouncing around. So, I, you know, it's kind of a little bit on me. You know, I, he, I want, I, it's my job to get him settled in. I wanted to try, try a little different few things. Um I like him at center, so I think we'll play him at center tonight. Uh, but they can they, it's a hybrid. Whoever's low can stay low. But um, I'd like to see him settle in at center for a little bit because there's been times, I don't know, I know I've seen it where he's been there in the spot to, to break up a play. Um, and that's a big part of our, we got him. Uh, there was twice in Detroit, actually, there was a guy wide open in the slot, and he got a stick on it. If the, he's not there, it's in the net. So those are the things, yeah. You know, obviously, he got a couple goals his first game. He got assists the other night. That'll come. It's to me, it's the being in the play, the, the right uh, spot, at the right time when there's breakdowns. That's where he's really good. Excels. Obviously, you can write a name in to replace Dakota. Yeah. However, you reset your lines. But in terms of the way he's been playing, yeah. what he brings to the table, you know, is that going to be hard to replace? Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be hard to replace. He's a, you know, he fills a lot of. Checks a lot of boxes for us. You know, he's a really good penalty killer. Um, him and Garland, obviously, last two, three months, they, they got a connection. They, they get a lot of loose pucks. Dak's got a good stick. You know, he did, you know, he stuck up for Garza the other night. Like, those are, that's a tough, tough to replace. So we're going to have to do it as a, a pack mentality to, to replace him. And then just looking at it, you've been getting results. It wasn't a bad road trip in yeah. terms of results, but in terms of performance, we could tell certainly from, you know, you're, the way you're talking post game, not super happy. Is, is that still kind of where you're at? Well, I think, I mean, I, I don't think it's a good thing. I mean, we're, I think we're first of all by four points. We went 3-1-1, one, and one, and we're not really, I shouldn't say we're not happy. We're, 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 we're happy with the results. I think our, our staples and our process has taken a little bit of hit. You know, we we're, we got to make sure we get back to them. we got 20, how many games left in the season? That's the big thing I get concerned about. You know, the results, whether you win or lose, if you do the right things, you're going to win more often, obviously. Uh, but we've let it slip. You know, uh, 
Detroit third period, a couple of turnovers. You know, Washington, we're, we're in bad in Washington. You know, we, we, you know, I think some guys were a little tired. Um, obviously, Boston. So if you look back, there's pockets of the game I like. We just, we're, we're striving for that, like every team, you're looking for that 60 minutes. But for me, for us, is, uh, you know, we got to get back on our staples and, and process, uh, you know, and st- don't worry about the results. Don't worry about anything else other than that. And I think when we do that, that's when we're, we're a really good, tough team to play against. Hey, Rick, uh, you decided to put Mikheyev in, in Joshua's hole. What was your thinking behind that? Well, I mean, you know, I don't want to, you know, I've, I, trust me, we had the bingo balls. Do I get Garland up top? But I, I like Garland where he's at. It's tough matchups for the other team, you know. Um, so I like him in that spot. But that doesn't mean I won't, you know, bounce it around tonight. For Mick, give him a chance on that line. Maybe you get two hardworking guys. Maybe he can stay close and, and get something going for himself. You know, we talked about maybe – uh, DJ Giuseppe going up, um, you know. So there's a lot of there's a lot of thinking in there, a lot of steam in, in the uh, the office. But we come out, let's try this tonight and see how it goes. Also, uh, Hoaglander, you kind of elevated obviously to that uh, second line. He's this, just this courageous guy who goes to the hard areas, doesn't play a whole lot, but just his production over the minutes he's gotten is pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's a you know I know it's a big thing around here. It's like you know if you play him too much, does he develop? You know, he's still things he's got to work, you know, work on. Um, I think what we've done here is perfect for him developing in that way. You know, I think, uh, you know, he's a type of guy, too, that he's, I think when he extends his minutes to 14, he gets really tired. I think the way he plays right now that, and listen, I, he deserves probably a couple of minutes. Don't get me wrong. And we probably would put him on the power play tonight, but maybe give him a shot. But uh, I like the, the way we're developing him. You know, not getting him too much, and obviously he's a he's a home run hitter for us. I mean, he comes out from nowhere with some big goals for us. So, uh, and he's really his defensive game is getting better. It's not there yet, but it's getting better. You know, it's getting better. Um, so, yeah, well, I, I think we're doing a, 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 the coach staff's done a nice job. Twins have worked with him a lot too. I think he's doing I think he's doing a good job the way we're developing him. People talk about the All-Stars on this team, rightfully so, but, I mean, Connor Garland's had a huge impact. Just how big of a role has he had in your success this year? Well, just from where he's come from at the beginning of the year, you know, um, his mental state, the way he's dug in. Um, he's, you know, I like his last two months, he's been arguably one of our best forwards. Um, not so much statistically. Everybody looks at points. I, I don't look at points. Yeah, points are great, but the way he plays consistently game in and game out, you know, the way he can drive drive a line um, and the way he's kept with it. You know, he could have easily went the other way, and he didn't, and uh, I give him a lot of credit. He has the ability to make players around him better as well. Yeah. I mean, on that trip, I think Dak could have at least four more goals. I mean, he had some great chances from, from uh, Gars. So hopefully Mick's ready. I mean, he's going to get some chances tonight when you play with Gars. What is it about his game specifically that you like? I think his corner work, uh, his his um, ability to keep plays alive. You know, he's not a one and done guy. You know, when the pucks transfer somewhere, he's he's the first guy in the puck. Um, and holding on to pucks for a little guy, he goes in the corner with a big guy. He comes out of it. You know, you'll see a big pile, and all of a sudden you see this little guy come out of the corner. That's a big possession. You know, he's he's not a one and done guy. And I and uh, the more guys you have like that, obviously you're gonna you're gonna extend offensive chances, offensive zone chances. It was interesting to see uh, you guys uh, bring Phil Kessel in and send him to Abbotsford. I'm just wondering what you think is left in the tank there and what his path forward might look like. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, to be honest, I haven't really uh, been involved in this. You know, Jim wanted to give him a shot down there type of thing. Um, 
so he's going to go down there and skate. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, he's going to have to go down there for a while and see where he's at. He's been out for about 10 months, so uh, there's probably a lot of work to do. We'll see. It's a free look. Why not? I mean, he's got a great pre- uh, pedigree. You know, he's got some skill. And, uh, you know, he's won. He, the, guy's, the guy's won before, right? And um, he's a good locker room guy. The guys always love him, too. So to me, it's just a look. See, see, see where it transpires. Uh, we've seen Niels Huglander have a lot of success scoring at 5-on-5, five five, but if he gets a look on the power play unit tonight, does he change much? Is there something you have to do differently? Well, I think you got to keep around the net. I mean, I'm not sure he's a half-wall guy just handling pucks like that. I think he's a he's a quick-strike guy. You know, get him the puck, and if there's an open area, let, like, he's a buzzsaw, take it to the net. I, I think that's the best way to use him. Um, playing the perimeter half-wall stuff, I don't think he's a half-wall guy. I think he's a guy that you have around the net. Where or or any loose pucks he's going to chase down, I think that's where he'll be at his best, uh, for sure. Uh, and Jet Wu getting an opportunity to skate with the team. What yeah. does that uh, do for a guy who's not had that opportunity before yet? Oh, I think it's huge just having Abbotsford like 40 minutes away. We've done that a few times. Where guys come up and skate. You know, Irwin came up. Um, Carlson's been up. You know, we might give Baines a ch- chance to come up. Whether he plays or not, I think he deserves a look to even skate with our club, so that might happen. So I think it's great. I think uh, minor, the minor league guys coming up here who have chance to skate with the pace, then they go down there they, they get a taste. I think it's, I think it's a great way to, to develop players. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media. On a game day, they'll take on the Red Wings at Rogers Arena tonight at seven and uh, lots in there as is typical but uh, I want to zero in a little bit on some of the commentary from Rick Tockett on Connor Garland also as it relates to what he had to say about the top six and their need to get going there and you know I think it's interesting when you listen to <laughs> they need to drive play yes uh-huh they need to he basically said he didn't say it outright somebody texted in uh be more like the third line is what Tockett is saying I don't think he used quite those words but he was definitely drawing a parallel to like hey look at what some of those guys are doing <laughs> the third line's the teacher's pet line seriously but you you listen to him talk about specifically dialing in on <laughs> Connor Garland I have this I have this visual now of like Connor Garland doing the Hermione Granger like hand raise being <laughs> Being ignored by <laughs> shining an apple, yeah, before by, he by Professor yeah. Snape, um, shining an apple. Because we, I think, we're, you know, there's been so much praise for the third line, but I think sometimes we talk about it as this kind of like completely intangible, like oh, they just have this chemistry, like pixie dust. It's just been sprinkled on this trio, and all of a sudden, it's working. And look, I think there's an element of this kind of, you know, lightning in a bottle chemistry. Sure, I'm not completely uh, writing that off. But then you hear Talkit speak about Connor Garland and like what what he's doing. And it's it's the nitty gritty of it, right? It's he goes into the corner and comes out with the puck. He's not a one and done guy, right? It's not one shot. And then the other team retrieves the puck and they're out of the zone. He finds a way to keep plays alive. Um, They're connected, right? They're always close together. And that leads to chances. And I think really what Talkit is doing is he's laying out that line, but really in particular, Connor Garland as a template for other players on the team and other lines on the team to follow, right? Hey, what's the top six need to do? Stay close together. Get that extended zone time. Do all those things that Connor Garland has been so good at doing this year. Yeah. Well, and I liked the praise for Garland coming out with the puck. Mm-hmm. I, I always think that's the mark of now look, there's obviously value in the sort of toughness that you associate with Dakota Joshua and Nikita Zadorov, like giant gentlemen playing a pugnacious style. Mm -hmm. But the ability to always come out with the puck off the wall for me is like 
mark one pretty huge of of what a tough NHL player is. And Garland's a tough NHL player. Period. Period. I know that's going to be anathema to some people, but I, I truly believe it. Um, the other the other one is the Tanev brand of toughness. Just like <laughs> jumping into shots with your face. That's that's maybe the toughest. Anyway, he also brought up that like stats don't tell the story. I just want to read you Canucks five on five scoring leaders All among right. forwards. Elias Pettersson, thirty four. This is point total points. Total yeah, points. Five, five on five, on five okay. all season. Elias Pettersson, 34. JT Miller, 30. Brock Besser, 28. No mm-hmm. surprises. Connor Garland, 26. That's two Pretty points close. shy yep. of the all-star tier. Dakota Joshua, 23. Like, that's that's the top five. Dakota Joshua's one of them. Mm-hmm. Wild. They've been really good. But I do think that what ta- the point Talkett is trying to make is... Sorry, I'm not liked, disagreeing with yeah, him. I just he would have liked their game even before they had started to rack up those hundred percent. You know what well, I mean? Well, he kept them together in that November stretch where mm-hmm. they were deeply unlucky. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And uh, I mean, if you look at look at over uh, the last two months, or like going back to the 2024 part of the year only, the only player with more five on five points than Connor Garland on the Vancouver Canucks is Elias Pettersson. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they've been uh, they've been absolutely incredible and in getting some deserved praise. And let's look really zeroing in on Connor Garland's role in it. Uh, by the way, by the way, ninety one percent over the last six weeks, ninety one percent of goals that Connor Garland has been on the ice for, he has had a direct hand in setting up. Mm. And 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 um, yeah, I mean that's that's wild stuff. Yeah, he look and, and as, uh, as he al- he's said, also the leading goal scorer for the Canucks over the last six weeks. You're just like continually discovering new Connor Garland facts shocked. in real time. Well, no, but like six six weeks ago, this market was like he'll never score because he can't his score. Sticks not long enough. You don't have to say this market. You can just say Jason Bruff. Yeah, Jason Bruff. Just, is just all over it. Just say it. Say his name out loud. <laughs> Bruff specifically was wrong on this point, and Drance wants to make sure everyone knows about it. Look, he's been fantastic. <laughs> and as um, as Talkett said, like, hey, McKayev, you're going to get chances tonight. You're on Connor Garland's line. You're going to get chances tonight. I also thought it was interesting. Uh, Rick Talkett acknowledged that, uh, as he put, there was a lot of steam in the coach's room from all the thinking Love they that. were doing. Love that phrase, by the way. <laughs> all the thinking they were doing on how to replace Dakota Joshua in the lineup, and he acknowledged, no, hey, we had somebody texted earlier, oh, this was a golden opportunity to move Garland up the lineup. Talkett said, yeah, we considered that. I thought it was interesting the way he framed it. When you do have Garland in the third line, it's not so much that he can't play above that or that he couldn't be useful in the top six, but it's your kind of ace in the hole that creates a really difficult matchup scenario uh, for the opposing team. Because you're not going to you're not going to deploy your matchup guys against Connor Garland, not when Elias Pettersson and JT Miller are still on the team, and that kind of guarantees Connor Garland more favorable favorable matchups to do his job in. So I think that that was an interesting bit of, bit of insight from Rick Talkett there. For sure. For sure. I'll, I, although, again, like, I think if you need a play driver, like, well, if you want more play he driving. Not, and he acknowledged that, look, I'm not saying it. that, yeah, I, it could it even happen be? tonight. He even said it could happen tonight. How could it not be? You know, like, and this is one of those things where, you know, I think the success that this team has had has helped keep that coach's office relatively steam-free. Mm. Right? Like, whether or not the top line or the top six has been going the way Talkett would like, 
or the team would like or or that we've talked about when the results are so good you know i mean for all that we talk about the quality of the third line for example over the last 15 games they've outscored their opposition by five over the last 15 games the jt miller line with brock besser and a rotating cast has outscored the opposition by five so it's like as it's worked so well that at no point have they really had to sort of go to that whiteboard and solve the problem you know but inevitably that's going to change once you get into and, and and once you get into tournament hockey in the playoffs you actually have to be like more proactive in solving the problem before it costs you, mm. right? Like, there's a really, there's a big yes. Difference you have to get ahead the of the adjustments, hundred percent. So you don't have that buffer that they've built in the standings. Well, and, and also there's not the same level of like continuity is valuable. You know what I mean? Right. It's, it's just like it, it's a di- it, the stakes are just different. And anyway, not to mention the fact that you're always playing the same opponent and that opponent's really good every every night. Um. But yeah, the so I, I mean I, I'm curious to see how it works. Uh, my guess is we don't see it tonight because I think Mikheyev's going to work there. I think that line's going to be really good defensively. But is it about that line working, or is it about the top six not working? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like I, I don't know if it's up to Mikheyev. I think it might be up to Niels Hoagland or Pius Suter, some of the higher profile players. Do mm. they get the top six going? Like that was a pretty clear. And somebody texted in Todd has bad takes. I think it was. Uh, or I don't know. It was not. I don't want to say it was Todd had ba- has bad takes because it was somebody else. Because um, it was someone with good takes. <laughs> yes, but he says I went back and listened to the interview and talk. It actually said be like the third line, the Garland line. When actually when asked about the top six, verbatim from Rick Tockett. So like that's a that's that's a challenge to the top six, right? And look, Niels Hoaglander three goals in uh, in in consecutive games now. So. That's great, but if you're looking to for the top six to control play, drive play more than they are, you're pointing to Connor Garland as the guy who's doing all those things and driving play for you. I mean, how tempting is it to throw Garland up with Lindholm and Pedersen, right? Get that duo going together as a spark. Like, I don't know if it's up to the third line succeeding, whether or not Connor Garland moves up. I think it's it's up to the guys above him mm. to see if he gets that opportunity or not. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd like to see him with Besser and Miller more than I'd like to see him with Pedersen and Lindholm. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's a... Now, Miller's such a dynamic dual threat guy, right? Like, his passing is so good that the mm-hmm. idea... But he's a killer shooter, too, right? Like, Absolutely. You know, and, he, and he's a big body. And, you know, talk, it's talked at length about just wanting more net front stuff, more down low stuff. I mean, Miller could do that. He 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 does do that, but there's a lot of times, too, where he's, like, using the first step to, like, cook, right? You see him behind the net. You see him making plays. You see him, you know, playing like a driver, right? And he's capable of doing it. But he's also capable of battling for quiet ice or screening 100%. goaltenders. Yep. Or, I mean, that's the thing about a super versatile offensive weapon like JT. If you put him in a spot where he can play off Garland, I mean – Garland's a really good playmaker, and both of those guys are sick finishers. To me, that's the one that I'd prefer to see. I I, I want to see Hoaglander get some run actually with Lindholm and uh, Pedersen before they change that one up. Uh, 
by the way, the update from Talkit on Joshua was not sure about a timeline. He was being evaluated by the doctor. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have more information tomorrow or even post game uh, after tonight. But I do think listening to Talkit speak today, if Joshua is out, even for, you know, three, four, five games, I think the chances that we see Connor Garland move up to the top six at some point in that absence are, are pretty high. Listening to what Talkit had to say there today, uh, somebody texted in, why not just make the third line the second line, uh, which is kind of what they've done they've by, by done amping it. up their ice time. But I, I love that text. It has big, um, why not make, why not just make the whole plane out of the black box theory if the black box is indestructible? It's like, just, just make the third line your second line. Boom, done. That was such a good observation in the 90s. <laughs> that, that, that was the kind of thing that got you a big sitcom deal in the 90s. One line like that, you were made as a comedian. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to point out, we'll take a break in a couple minutes here. Jeremy Colleton is going to join us, Abbotsford Canucks head coach, in the final segment. Uh, but Rick Talk towards the end there, asked about the value for Jet Wu of coming up and skating with the big team and unprompted throwing out Arshdeep Baines as, you know what, that's a guy who we got to get up here at some point. Even if he can't play a game, we have to just give him the opportunity to skate with the team as Jet Wu's done, as Linus Carlson. Now, Carlson's got games as well, uh, but we got we to gotta give him that opportunity at some point. I thought that was interesting, you know, not asked about Baines specifically, but brings him up as a player deserving of that opportunity and also just raving about the ability to do that with Abbotsford so close. Bring these young guys up, even if it's not for a game, just for the chance to uh, – to skate with the team for for a day or two. Yeah, and we'll ask Colton about Absolutely. what sort of value uh, players like Wu get from that level of exposure, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting dynamic, one the club has obviously used and one that talk it's been open about. Right? Talk like likes. What, yeah. well, and what does he want to see? He wants to see those guys dictate things in practice. He wants to see them amp up the competitive level. He right. wants to see someone come in and... You know, it may be ever, maybe a veteran's going at 60% in practice, but now in a battle drill, you kind of have to raise your level because you don't want to get, you don't want to lose to a guy going full tilt. Yeah. Um, who's who's an American leaguer. So, uh, you know, I'm curious to get Colleton's thoughts on that dynamic because well, without plus, question. Also, we'll see because a lot of these guys could be around the team in the playoffs, right? Depending on what happens with Abbotsford's season. But, you know, you're going to call up your, uh, your black aces. There's no roster limitations or anything like that. So... Get them acclimated now. Get them that uh, that little bit of comfort because even if they don't factor in in the playoffs, uh, you know that's that's routine is to have those types of players around the team, skating with the team uh, throughout a potential playoff run. So mm -hmm. we'll see if and when Archie Baines gets that opportunity to come up and uh, and skate with the big team here. Uh, we will talk to Jeremy Carlton about just that. He is the head coach of the Abbotsford Canucks, and we will talk to him next here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online 
at DunbarLumber.com. It is time uh, for the Abbey Farm Report, which is a presentation of David L. Young of Dexter Realty. And uh, I, I believe we are connecting right now with Abbotsford Canucks head coach Jeremy Colleton, uh, who joins us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. And uh, we are indeed now joined by Abbotsford Canucks head coach Jeremy Colleton. Jeremy, thank you for doing this with us today. How are you? Doing well, guys. What's new there? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, first uh, first Canucks home game in a while here, so we're excited for that. And uh, just lots to talk about, both with the Vancouver Canucks and the Abbotsford Canucks. So uh, an, an exciting time to be a fan here in the Lower Mainland. And I know you guys are in the middle of a, a week off right now. You played on Saturday. You'll get back on the ice this Saturday at Abbotsford. A uh, couple of losses against Colorado before the uh, the week off here what does your team need to do to to you know refocus for the final part of the season coming out of this break yeah i mean disappointing results but uh i thought we played pretty well um played a hard you know two hard road games and they were tight kind of said going into the weekend it was probably going to be a 2-1-3-2 type weekend um and those are the types of games we had we just didn't didn't convert on a few of our chances and uh you know made a couple mistakes ended up in the back of our net but uh you know i don't think we're unhappy with how we played we just we got to find a way to uh be a little bit more consistent throughout a period of of weeks and then i think those results will turn and and part of that's going to be getting healthier we're going to get a couple guys back this weekend which will help and uh hopefully we can put a little run together here how valuable can a little bit of a gap between games be for a team at this point of the season, and especially a young team that's still, you know, uh, adjusting a lot of the guys to uh, to professional hockey? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the practice time is big. You got to use use that uh, wisely, making sure that uh, you, know, you can revisit some of the things that you think will give you a chance for success. Uh, you know, just touch on habits that you think are important and then also you know we're trying to get guys back in the lineup so they need practice time so whether it's guys who are going to play right away or guys who are a week or two away just being able to to get some high tempo practice in some game situation type things that maybe you wouldn't do when you're playing every other day or you know three and four nights or whatever it may be that's it's really good for us so uh i think that'll that'll pay dividends not just weekend, not just this weekend, but over the next month. Jeremy, as the trade deadline approaches, how how does that change things for you know the head coach of of the club's American League affiliate? Given you know, I, I mean, even this week we're seeing a veteran player get skated with your group, uh, practice with your group, um, but also you know. Uh, players beneath the line might get added to your lineup. Uh, there's a variety of moving parts. How do you approach the next three weeks from um, a preparation standpoint? Yeah, I think day to day we got to approach it the same way. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that's part part of uh, you know how you build habits and expectation in the American League of getting results and and developing no matter who's in or who's out, injuries, call-ups, whatever. I think we got to stick with that. Having said that, like obviously, uh, we know that the trade deadline brings change, and mm-hmm. it happens when you're a 
you know, when your NHL team's going to miss the playoffs, typically there's some upheaval. And when your NHL team's going to make the playoffs, there's going to be some some changes. So we're ready for it. Um, no idea how it's going to shake out, but I think part of how we do a good job is uh, we're the same no matter what. You know, we just keep working at our at our uh, at our game, our team game, our individual game, and that'll give us a chance to have success. Whatever kind of the periphery stuff uh, is that that happens. You mentioned uh, that you might be getting some reinforcements back from injury here soon. And I know, especially on the blue line, uh, there's been a run of injuries. Can you give us any more information on, you know, who might be coming back soon, what the kind of timeline is for those reinforcements? Yeah, well, I mean, this weekend, uh, you know, Drives and Nielsen, you know, they'll they'll come back in. So those are two pretty important forwards for us, especially for a team that uh, lately – we've had trouble scoring. I think over the season we've, we've been, we scored more than enough, but I think over the last month it's, it's, it's dried up a bit. And so those guys will really help. And on the back end, it might be the help might be a little bit further away. You know, we got, like it's a, it's a laundry list of guys, you know, Willan and Hiroshi, Johansson, um, you know, but those, you know, a couple of guys are starting to skate and we'll see if we get them when we get them back, but just, Having guys on the horizon, that's going to create more competition, and and that's always good for your group. Jeremy, we saw Jet get called up to join the Canucks in Chicago. Uh, Hasn't gotten into the lineup, but nonetheless, uh, what has he done? What has he continued to show? We know uh, how much his game has grown over the past couple of seasons. Uh, Where's his progress been at over the course of the year down in Abbotsford? Yeah, I think it was uh, a just reward. You know, whether he gets in or not, I just think recognition that he's the guy to get an opportunity based on how he's played, you know, not just this year, but last year too. Um, I guess what we like about him, extremely competitive, uh, excellent skater, uses his skating to defend the rush uh, really well. He's able to jump in a place, you know, I wouldn't say you wouldn't probably describe him as an offensive D-man, but he... He does create things by jumping in or even just keeping pucks alive on the pinch. Um, and he plays hard. He's physical. Um, he's, uh, you know, even last game, like they, Colorado was kind of chasing him around the ice. He ended up fighting. Um, he he was definitely uh, making his presence known out there. And I think uh, for our team, we need more of that. And so, uh, you know, definitely he, he's been a guy that uh, plays with an edge and, that's good for your team. So, you know, I think he, I'm happy that he's getting the experience up there and even just being around the group is, uh, is going to be a good step for him. Jeremy, Rick talked today about the opportunity of getting into practices, of just getting into the NHL, uh, onto the NHL roster and then getting the opportunity to see how uh, players practice that the Jets sort of got, but, you know, Linus has gotten throughout the course of the season um, repeatedly. Uh, Rick mentioned wanting to see uh, Arshdeep Baines get a shot like that at some point as well. Uh, what's the value back down in Abbotsford when a player goes up, comes back down, whether they get in the lineup or not? Yeah, definitely. It's always good for them to just get a taste of the tempo and the pace mm-hmm. and just uh, probably the execution would be the biggest eye-opener, I would think. Just the, the quality of, of the passes, uh, the pace, of each drill, um, it's a step, no doubt. And so for them to see it 
is important. And I think uh, it doesn't just pay dividends now, like in you know, the next few days or whenever they come down. I think it's in the future, just getting comfortable with the level and uh, feeling like you belong. Like I, I look at uh, Juleson, for example, mm-hmm. like him, him, you know, being able to be there for a long stretch and just get comfortable. He's a guy that needs to be comfortable and, you know, having a chance to practice and feeling like he's part of the group. And uh, I think that grows your game. That grows your swagger. You know, he was a really important player for us last year, heart and soul, you know, physical, hard to play against. Uh, he, 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 but it's, it's transferring that game to the next level and the confidence to make plays, to advance the puck. Like you, you can't just throw pucks away at the next level, but in order to feel comfortable and confident, it sure helps to be able to practice with your group, with your team for a long stretch. And so I think any type of experience guys get with that level and that quality of players, it helps them transfer their game uh, to the NHL. So that's, I think it's really, it's great that our guys are getting uh, a few days here and there. Yeah, and uh, and Rick Tockett brought up today, kind of unprompted, you know, he was asked about Jet Wu and he said, you know, Archie Baines, that's another guy that we'd really like to come, have come up at some point and get the opportunity to skate, even if he doesn't get into a game. I mean, what does it say about uh, about Baines' development in the season he's having when he's getting that kind of recognition from the head coach of the big team? Yeah, it's, it's great. And I think it should be a confidence boost for him that uh, people are taking notice of, of the job he's done Again, not just this year, but over the you know, last two years, growing his game and, and showing that he should be considered as an option at the NHL level. And so um, getting practice, getting being around the team, whenever that happens, that'll, that's, that's a natural step. And uh, hopefully, you know, guys like that see that as positive feedback for the job they're doing and they can, they can use, use that as a little bit of confidence to build on their game. We're talking to you, Abbotsford Canucks head coach Jeremy Colleton here, part of the Abbey Farm Report on uh, Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. We've talked a couple of times with you, Jeremy, about having a young team, even relative to the AHL. And I think that's true in the crease as well with Archer Silovs and Nikita Tolopilo. How would you assess the job that goaltending duo has done for your team this year? Yeah, I think just just like the rest of the group, uh, we've been you know searching for consistency, like the the maximum level is there and we were looking to raise the minimum level. And I think with our group, we're young everywhere. You know, it's like, yeah. uh, one of those things when, when one guy has an off night, it's, it affects everybody. And so as a group, we're struggling to find that consistency where, you know, one guy, we actually just talked about this this week and, you know, a couple of our meetings, uh, one mistake is going to happen. Like mistakes, it's it's a, hockey's a game of mistakes. They're going to happen all around us during the game. But we just can't have you know two, three, four, five in a row. Those are when you really get punished. And so, I think as a group, we're just learning how to pick each other up. Um, and you know, I think goaltending is an area that that really builds confidence in your team. And I think we got two guys who can do it. They they've shown that they can. Uh, you know, be very uh, calm, confident, you know, good size, make it look easy. And when they can do that consistently, consistently, that really helps our team. 
And, you know, we're kind of challenging them to, to grab the ball. I think it's good competition right now to, uh, to kind of be the guy and run with it. And not unlike last year, I thought, it's the second half of the year, uh, you know, Spencer Martin and Artie, they, they really pushed each other. And uh, we got some excellent goaltending when we really needed down the stretch. And so, um, you know, that's, that's a challenge here to see if, if uh, one, of the, one or both of these guys can kind of step forward. Jeremy, you brought up Noah Juleson, the comfort that's apparent for him, having spent a, a bunch of time both on the NHL roster but, but also with you down in Abbotsford. Um, when you see the progress that he's made at the NHL level this season, um, I, I mean, what do you see in terms of the growth of his game that sort of allowed him to uh, hit this level? And sustain this level, yeah, well, I, I think, is important too. Yeah, I think he's he's just found a way to transfer his American League game to the NHL, and I think that mm. is the barrier for a lot of players. Um, they can't transfer the things they do well at the American League level. They can't find a way to to move that game over, and a lot of it's confidence, uh, some of it's opportunity, but uh, I think just feeling like you belong and and when you got the puck on your stick knowing that you can do the job and uh like we down in in abbotsford had a lot of belief in in jewels and we're really happy when he got the opportunity last year but it it takes time it takes time to feel like you belong It, it takes time to understand you know what you need to do to transfer that game and I think him just being up from the start, and I think those guys, you know, the coaching staff up there, they they felt like he could do it. And that belief, it it does, you feel it as a player. And uh, full credit to him. He's I think he's paid it back, and it's great to see. Jeremy, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. I know you got a couple games at Abbotsford uh, over the long weekend, so best of luck in those, and uh, we can hopefully we can chat again soon. Sounds great. Thanks, guys. That is Jeremy Colleton, the uh, Abbotsford Canucks head coach, joining us here for the Abbey Farm Report, brought to you by David L. Young of Dexter Realty. Here, there, everywhere. Visit homes by David L. Young dot com. And uh, interesting point. We, you know, I think we tended to focus on Niels Hoaglander as the kind of Abbotsford development story this year, right? Going, getting sent down last year, having success coming up, uh, finding a lot of success at the NHL level. But good point by Jeremy Colleton to bring up Noah Juleson and specifically the the kind of process, the the multi step process of what happened with Noah Juleson. First, going down to the Abbotsford Canucks, having success there, as he said, they had a lot of confidence in him. Then coming up and getting that practice time mm. and using that practice time experience with the coaches, with his teammates, to kind of get to the level we're seeing him now. Where, as we've talked about this week, you know, he's maybe one of even when healthy. And we, even when everyone's healthy, maybe one of the Canucks' uh, top six defensemen. Defensive. Yeah, it's been really impressive to watch Juleson settle in. You know, toward the end of the Boudreaux bump, we saw him get into some games. Um, and we saw him play, I don't know, like six really good games. Yep. And then he had one really disastrous contest. And that's classic for the adrenaline-boosted start of a call-up. And then the regression, right? And Mm -hmm. then toward the end of last season, we saw him play really well with Quinn Hughes when the Canucks sort of had their first taste of sustained success under Tockett. 
Um, and then early this year, he had some tough games, was sort of lost his spot in the lineup for a bit to um, Mark Friedman. Yep. And now, I mean, man, he's on a heck of a run. And it's like a three-month run now. Like, this is this is materially different than the other two sort of, um, like, the, the two moments where he flashed. Yeah. You know? This is sustained quality play. And, man, I thought he was great on this road trip. Like, regardless of what you think about how some other Canucks players might have played against Washington or, or what have you, like, he was excellent. Excellent. Against the Capitals and the Blackhawks, especially. And, you know, Juleson's interesting because, of course, uh, late first-round pick back in 2015 of the Montreal Canadiens. And then his development, there was a stretch in his career from, like, 2018-19 to before he joined the Canucks organization where, because of a bunch of different things, right, injury and, of course, there's schedule disruptions in there because of COVID, but over, like, a three-season span, he played, like, 40 games, total uh over that span right and like that's really really difficult that's a huge disruption to your development as a, as a professional hockey player and you know now having that stability having the opportunity to play with big minutes for the Abbotsford Canucks last year and then get up and get the practice time and you're seeing some really impressive you know to go from organizational call up to potentially like number six on a really good team that doesn't sound like a big gap but like that's really meaningful that's it, really meaningful well and and I think the like I think the I think the the leap that he's made is from guy who can give you games to NHL defenseman. Yeah. You know whether or not you think whether or not he's at the level of everyday player or not, I'd say he is, but um you know if you wanted to debate me on that, I wouldn't like yell at you. <laughs> despite my normal inclination. Um you don't but, yell a lot. I wouldn't say. No. You get like upset without yelling. You get agitated. <laughs> I yell when I talk normally. Yes. Um, anyway, the I think he's I think he's made that leap now, and that's and that's a significant one. I also like do not understate the severity of that injury. Right, yeah. that was a fractured orbital bone. I mean, that was a gruesome, gruesome. Like, you know, maybe maybe it didn't quite rise to the level of career threatening, but it, it's the next, it's the next closest thing to it. Yeah. Uh, to overcome that. Uh, the, uh, and the lost development time and, and all of that. I mean, it, really an incredible story for the Canucks and an incredible find, given that they'd worked to keep him around the way they did. Final few minutes of the show here, Canucks Talk, uh, Sportsnet 650. On he was Canucks traded for Olio Levy. He was. Olio Levy trade tree. It's paying dividends. He's better than Olio Levy. And uh, Olio Levy and or Noah Juleson and... Um, Oh man, Lamico. come on. Yuho Lamico. Yuho Lamico. Of course. Lamico. How could I forget Lammy? How could you forget Lammy? What a beauty. <laughs> what an absolute beauty. <laughs> yes, the, the Ole Levy trade tree indeed. Going strong with Noah Juleson uh, in the lineup right now for the Canucks. Um, getting back into uh, tonight's game against the Red Wings and some of what we heard from Lammy. <laughs> Don't you remember that? Oh, it's yeah. one of my favorite moments. <laughs> Actually, no, it wasn't even Bruce Boudreau calling him Lammy. It was Boudreau's first post-game presser. I think Lamico had scored, and it was like mm. him getting him getting his first goal in a long time. And Boudreau didn't know his name. He's like, well, the guy who scored was it? And the whole press score was like, Lamico. And Boudreau was like, what was it? And everyone was like, Lamico. It was like call and response. <laughs> <laughs> it cracked me up so much at the time. But An we, all-time great moment. The um, What was that? Lamico. Honestly, the vibes of the Boudreau era... We should never forget them. 
Oh, and that was, again, as I said, literally, like, they beat the Kings. First post-game presser for Boudreaux. It was just, like, peak. Not peak, because there were some really good vibe moments. But, like, it was like, wow, we're starting on a really, really good vibes high here with that Boudreaux presser. That was an absolute all-timer. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Talk it. Speaking about the top six in general, ask specifically that, about Elias Lindholm. That came before the discussion about moving Lammy to defense and Quinn Hughes to center. <laughs> Yeah, who knows when that came up. Um, <laughs> mentioning that he really likes Elias Lindholm at center, and we've talked about the flexibility that Elias Lindholm brings tonight. He'll be skating in the middle of Elias Pettersson and Niels Hoaglander. Now, look, Talkit does is quick to add. Look, that's a it's a bit of a hybrid position. Pettersson can obviously play center. Uh, whichever one's down low can kind of take over the center duties, but really going out of his way to highlight what he can do at center. And again, to really put the spotlight on the defensive ability of Elias Lindholm. And that's kind of where I was coming from when I brought up the possibility of Garland subbing in there, right? Is, you know, we talked about this Lindholm can ride shotgun with really good offensive players, but isn't necessarily a dynamic offensive guy himself. So do you need a little extra bit of uh, extra bit of creativity, extra bit of creative juice? Could you get that with Connor Garland there while still having the defensive responsibility that Lindholm uh, and Elias Pettersson brings? Because clearly Rick Tockett thinks a lot of what Lindholm can do uh, defensively as a center so far. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, I personally just much prefer Elias Pettersson at center. Um, I think you get more out of him. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to see because right now, every time Lindholm moves, I mean, we've seen him play wing on Petter for Pettersson a little bit, but for the most part, every time we see him move, we see one of the other Canucks centermen bump out and go to the wing. You know, I am curious to see. Do we go back to the the Bohorvat template where it's three down the middle? At what point is it at least considered? I mean, Bluger. Fourth line center sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, like, are, are, are not much to sniff at if you're rolling out like D. Giuseppe, Bluger, and Lafferty as a fourth line. Your fourth I mean, line. that's pretty good. Yeah. And so your wingers would be Joshua, Garland, Besser, Suter, Hoaglander, Mikheyev. Yeah. I mean, if Mikheyev gets going, then you like, I think you, you don't mind that compliment of, uh, of wingers. Define gets going. Gets producing. No. That's not a reasonable expectation. No production is reasonable not, to expect. Not no production, but I mean, if you're going to be judging Ilya Mikheyev on like producing points, I think you're going to be, be disappointed. Some, there's got to be some bottom line. But, but there has been over the balance or, of the season. Or you got to find... He look, has as many five-on-five five points as Dakota Joshua. Does he really? He's yeah. 23? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's surprising to me, but good for him. Um, or until there is, until you do think his game is at a point where there's going to be production, you just have to put him in... Uh, a pretty extreme matchup role, I think, which I'm fine with because I look, I still believe in his defensive ability. Yeah, so maybe that. it's maybe it's Lindholm with Mikheyev on the right side and Joshua. Yeah, and then you bump Garland up the lineup. It's interesting. I like it. And that's yeah. that's like a hard minutes line. And then the idea would be that Miller and Besser get secondary matchups, and you're hoping to try and create, especially when you're at home and get to dictate it yourself. Uh, Pedersen, like Pedersen, Hoaglander picking their teeth with. You know, third line matchups or whatever, soft matchups. Anyway. Sounds nasty, soft right? Minutes that would be. It's an interesting one. Uh, maybe a lot of uh, a lot more steam coming out of the Canucks coaching staff, kicking that one around and kicking some other ideas around here. Especially, you know, uh, <laughs> we shouldn't have set up our office in the sauna. 
<laughs> just, just stimulates the mind, really. Get the, get the sweat out. Get, you know, spitball some ideas uh, about lines back and forth. What could be better? Uh, and again, the update on Dakota Joshua from Rick Talk, it was thinks it's related, thinks it's a hand thing related to the fight uh, that he had in Chicago against Mackenzie Entwistle. Didn't have a timeline, was hoping it was day to day, but would know more after the doctors were able to evaluate him and, uh, and report back. So we'll see when we get an update on Dakota Joshua's status from Rick Tockett. Uh, that'll do it for today. Enjoy the game tonight. We're back with a Friday edition of the show tomorrow. Uh, keep it right here. Game day on Sportsnet 650.